Am I recording now? Here we go. I think it's recording. What happens in one year, Morris? Yeah, exactly. It's smart enough. How do I know if it's yeah? Um, how do I know if this is it's recording? recording. Uh, I, I see a sign. It's recording. Uh, All right. Okay. Perfect. What do we have to chapter three? Oh my God! We got Victor Gindi with a blazing flame. We got James Goldberg and Meyer Benin. We got Dr. Alan Nasser. Dr. Nasser, I just started my orthopedics uh, rotation. Today was the first day in the uh, in surgery. It was like a blast from the past. Lucky you, orthopedics is the best. It is the best. It really is. I, I was wearing the alien suit today. They gave me an, a personal air conditioning inside. It was pretty pretty unbelievable. Yeah, you got to turn the fan down. Otherwise, it dries your eyes out. No, I loved it. I mean, I, I needed every burst of air that <laughs> died at the end. They let me scrub out. Thank God. I would have I would have mooted. By the way, when the battery dies, it's like all of a sudden you ran out of oxygen. It's the craziest oh thing. <laughs> You're like an astronaut in outer space that is literally dying. It's it's horrible. I definitely, definitely feel that. All right, Biruchim Abayim, we have a, a really special guest uh, in person, Al Miz. Really want to welcome him back to uh, to Brooklyn, New York. And as you guys know, let's let's give out the Tanakhim. Everyone has Tanakhim. Goddamn. Um, let's give out the Tanakh before we start, so that everybody could follow along. I know we're learning from Philip. Yeah. God's name. What? I didn't hear what you said. It sounded funny. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. All right. So without further ado, we'll begin. Of course, I want this to be as discussion-based as possible. Welcome, Esther. So um, I, obviously, I want you to interrupt me as often as you want, and I want to hear your thoughts and questions and comments, and I'll try to give uh, my thoughts as we go along um, so everyone could see the screen. Just a very brief introduction to Chapter 3. First of all, yesterday I was at the park and uh, I, we were, me and Louis Adis, we were, we saw the ducks, and I thought it was a golden opportunity to start reading Kohelet to the ducks. So, Victor, so Louis Adis has me on video recording chapter three of Kohelet to the ducks. And if you want that video with special content, you could get it in my uh, season five edition of uh, my life. <laughs> so, uh, chapter three is about Kohelet, and just to to get lay the groundwork one more time is that. I'm running with the assumption that Michael Fox is running with, that Kohelet is this fictional character. If you prefer to think of him as Shalomon, no problem. Really, we had that, that discussion last time. I, I think it was a great discussion. Um, so at this stage in the book, we already covered the ideas of wisdom and folly, the ideas of pleasure, the ideas of toil. What's the meaning of it? Is, there, is it just completely meaningless? In this chapter... We're going to shift a little bit now to discussing time and time constraints and occasions and the importance of different occasions. Um, so one point I really just wanted to make before we dove into the text is that, uh, let's see, we do not understand or control the course of events. So the only reasonable approach is to, is to enjoy life as it comes. I think that's really all you have to know before we, we dive in now. And that seems to be what he means here with this beautiful uh, poem. And we'll try to read it straight through in the Hebrew, just the first few pesukim to get the rhythm and the flow. And then we'll go back and analyze it. Um, and another thing is, it is only prudent to adapt oneself to the constraints of reality and to avoid excessive effort or amal, right? Because things are gonna happen as they happen. 
So to to fight against the world overly, welcome guys, to fight against the world and natural occurrences and events to a huge extent doesn't really make any sense if things are just going to happen as they're going to happen. So let's see the way that that the Kohelet puts it. So it's really try to appreciate the beauty of the poetry. I think Mofo, you said this is your favorite chapter of the book. It's really it's something special. The time, yeah, you got to make the time for everything. Exactly. And and like even in, like a your time for shunning, a time for discarding, a time for losing these things. That yes, I was gonna I was gonna mention see, that. We can get into that. Um, We're gonna get into that for sure soon. But just this idea that you know sometimes it, it doesn't feel like like things it feels like things are unfair um it feels like why is this happening to me now or there's certain things in my life like oh i don't need to make time for that like, yes especially something like self-care like nobody makes time absolutely um but uh i think he's he's pointing out here very much that there is a time for everything that that kind of happens exactly. We're gonna go through each and every one let's and he, see it he says it so beautifully absolutely this is one of the most famous i think uh, Perakim in the whole book. And I think Sarah, you liked the quote that I gave on my text today. That was from here. So I, I didn't get it from, from, uh, from nowhere. It's actually from this chapter. So let's see what he says. Season is set for everything, a time for every experience under heaven. A time for being born and a time for dying. A time for planting and a time for uprooting the planted. The time for slaying and a time for healing, a time for tearing down and a time for building up. I love that rhyme. A time for weeping and a time for laughing, a time for wailing and a time for dancing. A time for throwing stones and a time for gathering stones. A time for embracing and a time for shunning embraces. A time for seeking and a time for losing. A time for keeping and a time for discarding. A time for ripping and a time for sowing. A time for silence and a time for speaking. A time for loving and a time for hunting, hating, sorry, and a time for war and a time for peace. So I just wanted to give you that flow. And now, first of all, I want to just hear what are your initial thoughts? How does that hit you, especially in light of the first couple chapters as we encountered them, the feelings that that Kohelet has regarding man's inefficacy in the world just generally the fact that things seem to be inexorable in a way in not in a predetermined way but just feeling so weak in light of the 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 ex grand expanse of space and time and god and everything so much larger than us and we seem so puny in, in the face of all of it what do you think how does this hit you just in the, like viscerally it's very hopeful in a certain sense. It feels it, it, he talks about the negative things that are going to happen, the war and the and the, the crying and the wailing. But when you see it from afar, it's like, oh, that seems like that could be a very pleasant uh, or something to experience. Like that could be something beautiful. Like that. Oh, I look forward to the moment when I get to go to war. Oh, I understand that there'll be a moment to cry that it'll come. Beautiful. I thought you were going to even. I've, so first of all, I 100% agree with that, and I was going to add to that that it's important to make time to be sad. 
somebody, you know, sometimes, you know, people say, oh, you're an optimist or whatever. You have to make time to be sad. If you're not making time to be sad, what kind of life are you living? You know, sadness is a beautiful part of life. As crazy as that sounds, in Judaism, we know in the calendar, we add days where we're commanded to feel sad, whatever that means. You don't have to make so, yeah, exactly. No, Life no, will do it for you. You have to be open to them, and when they come, not be why am I sad? Exactly. The, the issue is not the feeling, it's trying to run away from the feeling that yeah. it feels bad. And everything we do to run away from that feeling, whether that's drinking, whether that's uh, doing activities that are just a waste of time, uh, binge watching TV shows. It's, yeah. The list goes on of different ways you could, you could run away from sadness. Absolutely. And um, that's. Uh, but but more than that, what about the fact that he doesn't only give the negative, he gives both. He gives la right? It's almost like people wait. And yes. I just keep thinking of like, like there's matter and like there's this matter and there's this matter and they're both important and they're both necessary. Um, and I'm also just like thinking it's like this is the theme of the year so far of like finding wow. beauty in the new year, like finding the ordinary to be extraordinary and beautiful there's there's a, a quality that life has where it gives us a ripe time for all of these things even if we feel like some of these are bad or 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 not so pleasant i think one thing that meditation has taught me and listening to guys like sam harris is that it's not the feeling itself that is bad. Rather, it's trying to run away from the feeling. Um, so it's it's not the feeling itself. It's it's you know. So feeling sad doesn't really feel bad. It's the thought that I shouldn't be feeling sad right now, and I should be feeling happy. That's what really bothers us. So Alan Watts, I was just reading in his book, The Wisdom of Insecurity. He says, when you feel something bad the only thing to realize is stop having the split mind where there's I and there's me and me feels afraid. So I is trying to get me to stop feeling afraid. Just feel the pattern of energy of whatever fear is like. You realize how temporary it is and it passes. And it's not even that unpleasant. The real issue is when you try to run away from times where these things should be felt. So yeah, let me, let me add something. If, if I can yes. speak. So yeah, first of all, I mean, these are, you know, amazing, amazing concepts, uh, timeless, you know, I mean, you read it today, it doesn't matter that, uh, that it could be a thousand years old or 10,000 years old. It's so comforting because it's saying, you know, when you're sad, you'll eventually be happy, you know? And when you're happy, don't get too attached to that emotion because you're eventually going to be sad, but it also, it gets you out of your head. So you're not thinking, oh, I'm sad. I'm going to be sad forever. You're not actually going to take seriously any thing that's going on because you realize that's not reflective of the entire reality. The reality is all these different things could happen and will happen. And you're not, you don't have to invest yourself in each thing. Like it's, you know, the only thing available you, you have to, it's all about perspective and it's beautiful. I mean, this allows you to look at morning and say, there's a time it's sad. There's a time. So, you know, that's okay. And everything's okay. It's very comforting and it's beautiful. Amen. That I couldn't have said it any better. I think that's exactly the beauty of it is that life is full of these experiences and don't try to run away from them. And they're all a part of life and they're all just as holy and temporariness and fleetingness is 
such a beautiful thing to, to meditate on, to pray about. We read in, in Tehillim, and I think it's kind of simmering under the surface here a lot. Right, so maybe we'll live 70, 80 years, but compared to you, God, it's like nothing. A thousand years, God, in your, your eyes is like one day that passes by like that. So it's a very humbling thing, like you're saying, to realize how fleeting everything is, and it forces you to live in the moment. And uh, Morris, I want to give you one more, one brief point I want to say is I watched the movie last night with my friends, Louis Adis and Jojo Towell. And it was, I forgot the name of the movie. If only if I remember the name of the movie, something about these people that they get stuck in a time loop and they start living out the same day, every single day. Could be, I'm not really sure. No, it's not that. It's a, I'll, I'll find out the name, I'll post it in the comments of the, the podcast. And, and it's, it's incredible because they start living nihilistically and they start realizing we could do whatever we want. We're just going to live out the same day every day. And every, it's always going to start from the beginning again. And it gives life basically no meaning. But then they start realizing that's the whole point is we could live it however we want. Yeah, don't, don't but I didn't, I didn't give the good part. The good part is, is something else. I won't ruin the whole movie. But yeah, Morris, I want to hear I have an older friend, so he's like 80 years old, and I was speaking to him, and I said, "Wow!" And I said to him, "It sounds like life just gets gets terrible because as you get older, everyone's dying. Every day you have another friend who dies. So much more mourning. And so far, I'm so young, I haven't had much death that I have to encounter. But for him, every day another joint's gonna start aching, another a mini loss, more and more losses. So I said that to him, and he kind of laughed at me. He said, "Is that how you see uh, age?" I don't know, maybe. So he said, no, it's not. He said, there's, you know, for everything that, that's taken away, there's still things that are being given. Wow. Like, so I guess seeing the, the being able to under, appreciate each epoch in your life or something like that in each moment and times, seasons, seasons is another word. Absolutely. I remember one time I walked into Avenue U, McDash Eliyahu Shul, and I hear one guy in front of me, elderly guy, he's like talking to another older man. He says, how are you doing? He's like, I'm getting old. He's like, yeah, did you think it would be this bad? He's like, I never thought it would be this bad. And I'm like, listening to this, I'm like, oh my God, this is what I have to look forward to? And they're like, yeah, they're like, you know, I, I can't believe they're like, you're right. You know, every day we wake up and another thing is hurting. And I'm like dreading getting, getting older, but obviously you're only hearing one part of the story. What about the satisfaction of seeing your kids get older? The, the wisdom that you gain as the years go on, there's a beauty and a poignance to life I think that, of course, happens as you see the seasons uh, pass. Any other thoughts, comments, yeah. questions? Yeah. First off, I have a lot coming up um, from this poem, uh, The Guest House by Rumi. And mm. it talks about um, welcoming each thing that comes every day. Some days you'll have a joy, some days it's sadness, you, you know, even a depression. Mm. And welcome it and entertain it, almost like you're hosting a guest. Um, and in that, and, and this is kind of saying to make the time for it, to feel it, yeah. to be in it. Um, it's a very, very beautiful poem. That's beautiful. Highly recommend. And that coming off of the past two chapters where he's been nihilistic, oh, we're all going to die. And he starts off this day, oh, we're all going to die. Yeah. Um, uh, but Esther said beautifully, this whole year has been about finding the beauty in the, that in-between in, in where we are right now. I mean, I, I always, I laughed from this line because I read this for the first time in Corona and it said, uh, a time for shunning embraces. Wow. You know? Yeah. <laughs> And, and, and right. in that time, without shutting embraces, you you know, without embraces, without the hugs, we got to find the moments. Wow. 
Um, and there's a time for being skeptical. There's a time for reading Kohelet. People question. Oh, I was going to make that point. Exactly. What is Kohelet even doing here? Yes. What are you doing here? Oh, yeah. Why, why do you need time? For yes. And, and perhaps there's even a time to do it again. Exactly. Um, it's, it's, uh, it, it, you have to make the time for each and everything. I keep saying every class we have, I say, let this yeah. hour per week be your catharsis. Tuesday night, 8.30 yeah. to 9.30. Be cynical. Be nihilistic. Yeah. Be all of these things. And during the week, if you have these thoughts, transport them, transport your worry thoughts in time to now or what, and just bring them out and, and talk about them because that's what catharsis is. Uh, now, now, though, people have used this at uh, the time for war, and that's a motivation. For like, oh, this is telling me I'm allowed to go to war. I'm allowed to kill people. Really? Throw stones at people. I don't know. I, I certainly don't think so. That, to that point, what is he saying, really? It's, it's the idea that there's ripe circumstances for something. So a time for laughing is not a specific date, but rather the right circumstances at a party, say, rather than a funeral. This does not imply that the moments when we fight or laugh are predetermined or, and independent of human decision, but rather that certain occasions demand a certain type of response. So just, I, I feel like I'm, I'm inserting a lot of my conservative viewpoints into this, but yeah. people who are just completely pacifistic, if you're a pacifist, what would have happened during World War II? The Nazis would have been like, oh, that's so nice you're a pacifist. Let me just invade the rest of the world and Japan as well. So America had to do what it did. Think, you know, I, I don't know, the, the bombing of Pearl Harbor is, I guess, sorry, the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki I guess it's a little bit more of a debate, but even that, you could say that was a time that was ripe for doing something very right. drastic to save a lot of lives. So that's, it's not a predetermined thing. It's not a commandment. It's you read the situation as it's necessary and you act according to the way that you think is, is the, the situation is demanding you to act. Do you think it's making a moral judgment like that? Because that's, that's what I hear you saying like, oh, there's no, don't, People read it like that. Like, oh, don't be pacifistic. I don't. No, I don't think it is. You're right. I don't. I'm saying that to not as a moral point, but to prove that there are times that are ripe for things. It's not moral to let. I mean, it's not immoral to laugh awkwardly at, at the wrong time, but it's just weird. It's just that you're not going to feel good. It's not going to serve you well in your life. That's kind of the way yeah, I, I mean. It's, it's, a, it's like as a good or bad thing, meaning sometimes you should be sad, uh, like as instructive. I see it more as like, Regardless of your efforts, mm -hmm. these times will arise. So once you know to expect them, just, uh, you know, just they're there. But they're what about, oh, you're saying even it's going to happen on its own. It's not, you're not really yeah, in control. Yeah. Don't worry about the toils, regardless of your toils. These yes. Things that are you. So not that it's good or bad. Like, oh, you know, you should do it or you shouldn't do it. Yeah, I think I, I think it's a little bit of both. I really do. I think you're right that it is this inexorable thing that life is giving you this stuff. But I think also he's this this book is also giving you some of his wisdom. And I think part of his wisdom is at the time, you know, don't don't withhold yourself from engaging in these things in the time that they seem ripe. That's kind of the way I see it as well. So you know, there is no judgment here, though. There's no moral judgment. I think that's the no, beauty. That's also, obviously, yeah, you know, love is better than hate. Okay, obviously, peace is better than war. I don't think anyone's debating that. But there is really no judgment if you read the plain meaning. It's just saying these things are going to happen. But yes, a human understands that I'd much rather be in love than than in hate. I'd much rather not not be killing people and so on. I don't think that's you know, <laughs> that's for us to interpret. But but yeah. Like repress, not repressing, not repressing 
the feeling, not repressing the exactly. moment. One hundred percent. I think you have to be present and honor the moment and honor the feelings. I think that's beautiful. And that's very much a meditative and mindful way of living. So just a couple of points. Uh, if anyone has any more comments or questions, of course, feel free. Michael. Um, but I, yes. I just wanted to point out that this, this whole uh, chapter is uh, was a, from a very famous song. I mean, they put in a very famous song by the birds called Turn, Turn, Turn. It was very famous in the 60s. Are you familiar really? with that? Yeah, no, I'll send it to you. I'm going to send All it right, to you. But I think it's word for word. I'm going to check. That's I can't incredible. believe you didn't know that. Yeah, it's so popular. <laughs> that song. My research. Michael Fox didn't have it. What the heck? <laughs> Nobody told me. That's great. That's funny. Say it again. You got to play the know, song I, now. Yeah, no, yeah. I got, I got to, I'll, I'll find the opportunity at the end. We'll have like the walk off song. Speaking of opportunities, I also think you have to recognize when it's time to change. Yes. When it's time to make change. When the time is. Yes. Another like time for uprooting the planted. Like it, sometimes we have to uproot, and it's not easy. It's not easy to uproot. Hundred percent. Make that make that difference. You have to, but you have to look at yourself and say maybe this time has come. So that's exactly and to, to what Morris is saying. There, yeah. I think there is an element of kind of like recommending to you, like this is kind of the way to be. You know, be, but yeah, that's why I, like, I love both points. Um, so just a couple of points here. This idea for, of uh, something from Sefer Iyov, he quotes here. In other words, after nine months of gestation, in the, in the case of humans, that's when the time of being born is the proper time, almost like it's the ripe time for being born. Time is used in exactly this way when God rem reminds Iyov of his ignorance. Do you know the season when the mountain goats Give birth? Can you mark the time when Heinz calve? Can you count the months they must compete complete? Do you know the time they give birth? So I, I love that that poetry from Eov because it shows you God, it's almost it's almost giving you this idea. It's divinely ordained. God set up the world with this natural order of there's a proper time in nature for these things to occur. So for you to try to avoid that is is just it's an it's a completely pointless effort because you're not gonna win. You're not going to be able to beat death or birth or anything like that. It's just going to happen without then. That's very much to your point, Mars. It's very appropriate to read this chapter today. with like a clear first turn of the season day. Mm. We finally got like a nice yeah. day. And it's like, oh, yeah, this was always going to come. And we're going to have wow. to like rejoice in the sun. And also we'll have the cold times. And, and that's just like how it's, how it's Amen. going to be. And that's the fear of... Uh, uh, David Attenborough, who made a beautiful documentary on Netflix, that these four seasons that we experience, we only experience them because of the way that the world kind of, of changed after the Ice Age, I think. But if we don't respect the environment, then we could lose the concept of the four seasons and things will become much more erratic. So I think it's up to us to, to maintain this cyclicity of stuff. Um, the, the idea of something being ripe for death, a person being, being ripe for death. So the psalmist sets this uh, at 70 to 80 years, which we said already. One who expires at 70 to 80 is dying, is dying in his time. But people who die early, it's dying not in the right time. It's not, it wasn't their choice. It wasn't a moral thing. But there is a, a right time. So again, it's like this, this natural thing of when things should, quote unquote, happen. No, I'm saying that if they die at 30, they weren't ripe for death. That's not the. It, it's not it's Exactly. It wasn't the right time. Yeah, I, th I think yeah. that's a projection a little bit. 
I think I think he's trying to say there is an objective good time for dying and good time for for you know for living and for being born and that's why the way that the, the other parts of the Tanakh talk about it is it wasn't the time to die yeah. even for evil people if they die early and God punished them it wasn't their ripe old age and that's that's I think all it's trying to connote here no I, I think that's you don't agree wrong statement yeah i feel like that changes everything then it's saying that there are right and wrong times for everything but now we should all spend our time debating is it the right time no yeah i definitely or right now or no it's not the appointed time yeah no i think this is that somebody died somebody died and you have the right to say it wasn't their what a shame i think that's what it's trying to say no, I think that's part of it. That's I I certainly think that's that's part of it. But but if there is no such thing as a ripe time to be born or die, then we can't even say anything about Everyone it. Everyone has their own time. Everyone no, everything is the right time. It's perhaps what it yeah, is. The, the way Michael's reading it, you have more self agency because it's like, oh, you did something wrong, and then it's not your time, and you're dying early. The other way, it's like it just everything is like predestined. Yeah. Right, I think it would be closer to that. I didn't read the other chapter. Yeah. I don't know if he said anything to make us think that he was. He said we way, should but... be enjoying the moment more. Yes, he definitely does very, say that. Very much. So. Michael, Pasuk yes. 11 says he brings everything to pass precisely at its time. Yeah, so Interesting. Seemingly, you're not supposed to be questioning if something happens. Oh, was I'm it really saying, the right time? I'm saying just the, the concept of a good time to die exists. Because if there wasn't such a thing as a bad time to die, there wouldn't be such a thing as a good time to die. That's all I'm saying. Ayat Lamut is a time where you're ripe for dying. If there was no such thing as a time where it's not ripe for dying, we wouldn't understand what this means. I'm just trying to make a very like powerful point. I'm not trying to say that we should fight. So we yeah. just say there's a time for dying. I don't think it has yes. to be good. No problem. Right, but I'm just saying right. Yeah. Okay, you don't have to accept it. Mike, Mike, I think that's a very important factor in life. Yeah. It gets people to make sure they get things done, you know, like a time crunch. Yes. 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 Certainly, I, I think that so that. Find a time for not dying. Yeah. Just, if you're not dead, it's not the time to die. Exactly. You are dead. It was. The time yeah. 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 I, I think. Because the, the next the next Pesukim are also going to talk about things that you're doing. So let's see, what else does he say? Uh, other things, planting and uprooting, uprooting the planted. The, um, this, this pair of different things epitomizes beginnings and ends of enterprises or intermittent changes in one's life path, as when one abandons an old enterprise and starts a new one. These are things that you are doing. Tearing down and building up convey the same idea. So... It's a, uh, it's a very interesting thing that on the one hand, it seems like there's things that you don't control, like being born and dying, but there's also things that you do control, which is like when to begin and, and end an enterprise, which is what leads me a little bit to think right. that there's a, a ripeness to all of them, not just for the things that you're doing, but even to the things that happen to you. And that's part of his lamentation is that certain things don't happen as we would have wanted them to happen. And you know what? That's life. And we, we well, what's, are, what's missing oh, is that you never know what time it is until yes, after it happens. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, that's that's why you have to really be present for, for whatever it is. Are you reading it as instructive? Like there's a time to tear down the thing? No, no, I'm not saying you should debate with yourself, but I think he's saying that there is a better time 
not necessarily morally, but you intuitively figure that out. The time um, when you should pick the banana. Yes. Banana. Video. You know, yeah, it's green right now. I think it comes. Yeah. I don't, I don't want I don't want to get too stuck on it, but but that's that's kind of how I see most of these things as a as a ripeness. Uh, so let's give a, a, a couple more examples. You know, weeping, laughing, throwing stones, gathering stones. Um, what's a good one here? I see more as like there will be a time where you you might be like, oh, why am I? Why do I have to gather the stones now? It's like oh, there'll be a time, or why am I throwing the stones right now? It's like no, that's okay. That's the time that it is. It must be. Yeah. Exactly. You don't. It's it's you figure it out on your own intuitively. What's the right well, I think time? Actually, for it. Um, well, the answer is both. The, ev things will come, as you're saying, and the, things will come. But as he's saying, try your best to recognize it, because if you could tap into that energy of when exactly. certain times are, then you could kind of use it to your advantage in that sense. Maybe right now is a time for crying, and I'm feeling all those emotions coming up. It's time to cry right now. It may be a little bit lighter. It's uh, the sun's coming down. It's time to go watch a sunset, or it's time to pray and incline our feet. You know, it's certain. I certain think you do have some say in the in, yeah. in these yeah. things. I think yeah. that's the point. It's not completely, completely out of your. Like imagine you interact if, with the world in this way. Yeah. yeah. Like imagine if we didn't know. Um, I don't know. No, that there's certain life. Everything has a time, and you have to kind yes. of do it the best you can to hit those times. Exactly. And he talks yeah. about that in later chapters about being aware. Yeah. Being aware, don't don't ever think like death is never going to get you. Yeah, you know it's coming. Exactly. It's coming. Bidyuk, one hundred percent. That's great. Free will. Do we want? I don't know if I want to get into that rabbit hole, but sounds like it's. You know what? We're going to hit on something in a few in a few pesukim that I think is going to remind me. Well, well I, I, right away. It talks about yeah. Pesuk nine. Yeah. Exactly. So we'll get there. Just, just a couple more points I want to make. Yeah. Good. So We're chopping at the video, Mike. Very quickly, I'll just make a few more points, and then we'll go to to pasuk nine. No, it's okay. Kohelet Rabbah makes a beautiful point about embracing and shunning embraces. It says that the time to embrace is when you meet righteous people. Time to shun embraces is when you come upon the wicked. You don't have to necessarily agree with that, but I think you choose who you're going to embrace when you're going to embrace. Just the thought, seeking and losing, right? Um, this idea to declare something as lost has to give it up, give up hope of finding it. That's something you do, right? There's no time to lose something. There's no time that's ripe to actually lose something. That's just something that happens that happens to you. But if you Why realize it, it, a bed, no, but the concept of when you give up hope of ever finding it again, that's something that's right to do at a certain time that you can interact with the world in that way. And I think there is a wisdom in how you, you can act more wisely, not necessarily a moral imperative, but a wise imperative of how do you want to enjoy your life? Like I'm three, like, yeah. Losing things that aren't beneficial. Losing exactly. Old new old friends, old friends. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yes, 100%. Absolutely. Um, the disappearance of, uh, of Shaul's uh, father's donkeys, you know, is an example of a fortuitous loss. These things don't even have to be a bad thing necessarily, like losing bad friends, you know, that were bad influences on you something like that. Uh, discarding. There's a beautiful story in Kohelet Rabbah. Tells of a merchant traveling by ship who threw away a chest of coins to frustrate thieves whom he overheard scheming to kill him and his son. He later brought the robbers to court. They pleaded innocence since the merchant had cast the money away himself. He countered there, that there is a time for discarding, meaning that the circumstances demanded this action. These examples are to the point. They do not epitomize predestined times 
but rather opportune circumstances in which it is wise to act in a certain way. This is exactly the point I was trying to make. It's not just this predestined thing, but it's also that there's a, is a wisdom in acting in a certain way, even one that involves an apparent loss. I think that's, that's trying to capture a little bit of, of the point I was trying to make about ripeness of a time. Um, ripping and sowing, ripping as the day could be like the day of mourning, which of course you don't control. So it's like this mixture of different things of what you can control, cannot control. Uh, very good. Kohel makes a distinction between asa, doing what is needed, right, to survive, and amal, which is toiling and overdoing things. So workaholism, right? You have people that just cannot stop working. This is under your control. How much do you want to do? How much do you want to keep on fighting? And this is in, in Pasuk 9, so we'll read it. Let's look at Pasuk 9. One, one last thing. Yeah, please. I wanna, sorry to slow us down. No. Uh, but I see the time. We, we, we focused a lot on the, on the bad ones, so to say, uh, quote unquote, because those, you, the, the good ones seem to explain themselves. But I do think that we have to be aware when it's hard to choose the good ones. Absolutely. There's a time to love because love is needed right now. There's that's time the to real... sow a relationship that's right now fractured. Absolutely. You, you know, a time to, to gather some stones, to, to gather, gather the pieces. For sure. Together. There's, there's a, a wisdom in yeah. recognizing that. And it's, it's not always obvious. Yes. Yeah. So when we struggle and strain in an attempt to grasp something before the occasion presents itself by scrambling to get rich, for example, our efforts are stymied by the times, for these cannot be forced. So it's, it's, this is Pasuk 9. So let's read it. Um, what value then can the, can the man of affairs get from what he earns? Right? So if you're trying way too hard in life and you're not getting the payoff, so it's, it's not the profitability of earning that's the issue, but really the value of toiling. Toiling itself could have no payoff if you're doing it to excess. If you don't find the right balance, I think that's the problem. But I don't think it's necessarily an issue once you do find the right way of interacting with the world in, in light of all the things we said about time, I don't think it's as much of an issue. What do you guys think about that? The shot of it is that what's the, what's the purpose of toiling when, when everyone is going to experience all of these times, when these times are, that, that's how I understand it. I agree. So then it's the, it's the opposite of saying that these are instructive. Saying that they're not. I think in light of that, in light of the fact that nothing really lasts and everything is temporary, don't go too crazy investing in the future. But it doesn't mean don't do anything at all. There's a balance to be struck here. Right, let's keep seeing. Yeah, so let's keep seeing what it says. Observe the business that God gave man to be concerned with. Right, so it's trying to understand what God brings to pass, which is undoubtedly a hopeless task. Right, he wants to to understand the divine workings of things, but he's not really able to. Sounds bad. He's saying, "Look yes. at all this garbage he gives us to occupy ourselves with." When ultimately we're gonna. Yes, and, and, and even the word "la'anot" is like "le'anot." It's that kind of connotation, a little bit to it, which means to suffer with, where we're afflicted with this business of trying to understand the fluctuations of time and of reality, and we're just at a loss for really understanding it. And this is very interesting. He sees God as indifferent more than he sees God as antagonistic. So the ambiguity seems to be a little bit deliberate. So this idea of la'ano, it doesn't have to be forcing us pain. It's not that God is deliberately causing us pain, but rather that there's this a little bit of an arbitrariness and an indifference to the way that, you know, I think you guys talk about you go in the cold plunge and you, you see the universe doesn't really care. 
Right. That's the way the intuition you get. It might, you know, regardless of you know what we might think about God, the intuition we sometimes get, we go into the world and it'll just sweep us away. You know? Oh, the oh no no the ocean, the ocean. doesn't change. The ocean. It's not about you. No, 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 yeah. the, the, the the tides will the tides take, don't it's care. A monster. Exactly. Right. Yeah, there's no concern. Hundred percent. Um, what's, what's the reading of la'anot for? What's the digression mean? You're saying la'anot means to afflict, afflict. So what does it mean without? La'anot, but it just means to be concerned with, like uh, to answer for. You know, just to, something to talk about, to deal with. You know, which means just why do what we is, like this, the understanding mean? the business of God? What is yeah. amal? Amal is toiling, like really hard work. You know, let's let's keep going to see more of a. Uh, an understanding of this. Uh, we're up to Pasuk 11. He brings everything to pass precisely at its time. He also puts eternity in their mind, but without man ever guessing from first to last, all the things that God brings to pass. Right? So that really is a strong Pasuk. We don't, we have no way of, of knowing this the business of that we're going to try to understand because that's what everyone wants to know is like how like how any not asks God I want to know how you run this world I want to understand your justice or just something about the way the world functions. I can't eternity is, is the wrong word there, uh, Michael. Eternity, olam. I mean, it's a very so you think narrow olam means definition. World? It sounds a lot more makes sense, meaning everything, as in the, halam, as in the universe or something. Eternity, yeah. I'm just saying it's, it's a strange way of translating. So there are people who interpret it that way, but the issue is in Tanakh, we, nowhere in Tanakh does Olam actually mean world. Olam always means forever or foreverness. So there's a reason why they interpreted it that way. There are more modern commentators or like uh, some of the Yishonim, I think, explain it as world. But I think really the plain meaning would be um, that. But very interestingly, a minor emendation, he says, from Ha'olam, to, which could be the world or eternity, to He'amal, the toil, right? Sometimes they mix up the letters in, in some of these uh, manuscripts. So who knows what might have happened? That's what he's saying here. Produces a more meaningful text, which we, how do you interpret it now? But he also plays toil in their hearts, right? So instead of thinking about, about it as, to understand the world is that we have toil in our hearts to, to try to understand time and the way that events unfold. So you pick however you like it, but I love uh, there's a few of these kind of things that that make it a little bit more understandable. So I just I think it's that's kind super of interesting. How, how, how could you put eternity in your mind? I mean, it's yeah. just a kind of like, I don't even understand what that means. I mean, I think you can put everything in your mind, meaning you're going to encounter you know, love, peace, war, etc. Like you said before, ha'olam, meaning everything. You're going to experience everything uh, in mm -hmm. your heart, in your mind. Um, right. Anyway. Yeah, I think the book. I mean, from what he's telling us, we're we're thinking about eternity. Eternity is in our mind, in that sense. We're thinking about death. We're thinking, um, you know, perhaps we could see all of it. I could see all this reality, but despite seeing it, I'm never going to guess what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. I, I can see it, I can understand it, but it's torturous. Taking a bird's eye view of everything. Yeah, and I think, oh, I know what's coming, but, but may, what happens when man plans? Yes. Not fun. Yes. I think we're saying the same thing, but just using a different word. That's funny, but thank you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Michael, I, I just had this thought. Hi, Michael. Hi, everyone. Hi. Welcome, Albert. Thank you, thank you. 
I just thought that maybe eternity is a place uh, without the dimension of time. I don't know why I just thought of that. I don't know if that means anything, but that's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the issue is that we're so bound by time, we experience it in all the ways that he described in Pasuk one through eight, that it's hard for us to understand it in terms of all time. But he's trying to get there, but noticing his limitations and really experiencing the world that way. I think that's the point. I actually remember why Albert remembers that we actually had a Shabbat discussion. Wow. About how Shabbat is removed from time. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, and how Moshe was perhaps removed from time when he was on Har Sinai to spare Shabbat. Beautiful. They discussed he didn't eat for 49 Like Rabbi days. Heschel's idea that Shabbat is a palace in time, that yeah. all other religions value space. And space is holy and all about space. But Judaism is not all about space. It's primarily about time. We only had the Mishkan, like after Cheta Egel. We were primarily going to be about occasions and time because God is so fleeting and ephemeral. Space can do no justice to him. Time is much more pointing the way towards God's ephemeralness. So maybe we yeah. could conceive of that concept of timelessness. We could think yes. about it. We can try it, but we'll ne it does, doesn't. Yeah. Just because we could think about it doesn't mean we could actually apply it. Like we're still. Um, Absolutely. We're still, what's the word? Victim. I don't want to use the word victims. But humble. We're like. We're humble. We're humble. We're, we're like uh, playthings to time. Time yes. plays with us. Uh, Absolutely. There's a better word for it, basically. I, I, no, yeah, I definitely hear you. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're, we're uh, like in the wind. like Being blown wind. about by time. Yeah. yeah. Time does yeah. what it wants with us. Yes. Morris, you <laughs> wanted to ask? No. No? Okay. Well, yeah, well, hopefully it'll come out. So. Okay, I think that, oh, so I wrote in my notes here, a time to be said is, is a very interesting thing. And we mentioned that already, make the time, a time to be skeptical, like in this class. We mentioned all these ideas. Just the fact that I wrote it down and you guys already brought it up makes me very happy because it's almost like we're, we're really intuiting the same things like we, me from and this. When we had our Koala class, yeah. we always knew we were on the ball. If what we were talking about showed up in the next Predicted lecture. the next yeah, thing. That's yeah, how yeah. you really know that's you're on know. it. That's the yeah. best feeling. Absolutely. Um, okay, so let's see Pasuk 12. Yadati, Kien Tov Bam, Kim the Smoah Tov Behayav. Thus, I realized that the only worthwhile thing there is for them is to enjoy themselves and do what is good in their lifetime. Right? So, for I think for human beings, what's worthwhile? What's the right thing to do? Not from a moral point of view, again, just what are you know, to have the, the most pleasant life? Just go about doing what is good. And this word tov has a lot of connotations from the previous chapter. You remember what it was? Tov is like pleasure. It's just physical, pure pleasure, right? So the experience or feeling of pleasure, what is good, or first of all, Kohelet has already concluded is good in chapter two of Suk 24. We could just look very briefly. He says, right? even, the, even the ability to enjoy the benefits and the, the pleasures of your portion is in God's hands, but at least try, at least indulge in whatever pleasures, because that's going to be really the only meaningful thing. Yes, yeah, so you were trying to, to say yeah. that there's that the man has choice, and well, what, what, what was the thing that led you to want to see that? Yes, so I see it not as a will to, to fight against God and fight against the inexorable things, but I think it's saying you got to get into the groove. Get into, there's a groove of the world that, you know, the way Alan Watts would put it is that some people are very rigid. And when they're fighting, when they're going along the waves, they go that, 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 and they're like fully fighting, fighting, you know, against it. And they're very rigid. Other people are surfing with it. They're getting with the grooves. They're moving with it. 
and they're dancing with it. And that's, I think, the wisdom that he's trying to give you here is once you recognize the things that cannot be changed about the world, it allows you this wisdom now. Okay, let me get in line with this. But also, because of that, there becomes a right time to engage in certain things and not engage in certain things, not morally, but just for their ripeness. And even the tragedy of someone dying before their time can be recognized simply because there is a ripe time to look like, wow, how, how nice was that? He was 108 and he died and his whole family was there holding his hand. Then there becomes also a thing like, oh, that wasn't nice. You know, he died at 32. You know, and I think. Was, you can't take away that. Yeah. Is there something in the text that's pushing you to read it that way? or is it I think the fact that the text is full of things that are not only things that are out of your control, but also things that are in your control, like physical right, actions. Like, the, yeah, that's a really congrats, like a shock, right? You say, what good could you do? What does that even mean? Well, well I, I connect back to uh, Esther's point about Corona, which is, you know, a lot bad is happening here. It's terrible. But what else do we have left is to, to enjoy what, what's right here. Right. Enjoy your life. Exactly. In whatever way you can. Yeah. And Tov, in, in this view, is not the, and I'll take a point here to exit his point of view and insert my thoughts is that he concluded last chapter why pleasure is the only thing because toil is pointless. And we mentioned what about if you find real meaning in your work? What if you didn't do work as toil? You weren't screwing on Barbie doll heads. You were doing something where you really enjoyed the action of it. You got into flow. You got into the state of passion and what you're doing. You look forward to work. It's possible. People do that. So it doesn't have to be as colored negative as he's making it. But of course, I still want to make the space for his tone. Right. So. Uh, Funny that English yeah. also says in your lifetime. Yes. In the time that you have. Yes, exactly. A lot of it. That's right. It's, it's a very it's a very good translation. That's the, I saw a, I heard a great ad on YouTube. Actually, it was like. Uh, Everyone's born with 2.5 billion heartbeats, which of course it's a dumb statement because <laughs> what if you die tomorrow? You don't know, you're not gonna. But regardless, let's say you live to 85. Everyone's born with 2.5 billion heartbeats. That makes you a billionaire. And it's like, wow, I just love that. You know, and, and it's like a very strong way of living. Like every heartbeat, every moment is a new one. What do you Embrace it. What are you, you gonna do? With it? Exactly. And this this chapter really brings that to the fore. All right, so let's look at uh, Pasuk 13. And he made the exact same point that we just quoted in 224, which is that, I don't think he means this as, oh, God is granting to you in a just way. It's no, you could, you could, be, you could be eating donuts. And if you're completely depressed because somebody left you, you're not going to be enjoying that. It's, and that's from God. That's almost like the serotonin release is out of your control. The dopamine hit, not in your control. That's God. He called that God. So there's just this idea. Capacity to enjoy your food. Is yes. Really is a gift from God. You might say, oh, so you, like, it sounds like a direct replication of what you're saying, though, that, oh, what if someone could, what if you could say, I really do find meaning in it. Okay, mm-hmm. Well, even that then is just a gift from God. So don't, uh, don't, don't be, too, you know, don't be. Too, so it sounds like at every turn, I, I hear him like vacillating. So there are moments where he's, where he's hoping. I said, but then at each turn he shuts it and he says, no, there really is nothing to do here. That's exactly it. That's the nihilism of it. I think that's it. But uh, I'm, I'm not trying to say otherwise. I'm just trying to say that you can get into the, the groove of that. 
he's trying to say, yeah, once, once you recognize that, now live according to that. That's what he's trying to say. There's something you can do to control how you live in accordance with this wisdom now. That's what he's trying to say. Mike, I like your yeah. point about the heartbeat, even though it's a little cutesy, but it's, it's um, thank you. I appreciate it. No <laughs> Made my night. Um, but, uh, no, no, it's something deep to mindful eating. You ever hear about this? I, I posted that on the chat, uh, the yeah. wholesome punch chat. Yeah. We have another, yeah. I once wrote a whole poem about eating a tuna sandwich. Like, wow. And just having you all, you have jam packed tuna sandwiches. We know They're that. Delicious. This guy puts best. 27 things in them, but yeah. Well, but um, yeah. to enjoy the bite you have as a gift from God and every second you have as a gift from God is in itself very beneficial. Uh, and you will, um, in that sense, enjoy it more. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that's exactly right. And I, I try to do that when I can too, you know, just very hard. get rid of the distractions. Think. Just eat. Yeah, we're just doing. Go, 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 go. 100%. Well, that's why yeah. the barachot are so nice, you know? Yes. You have to stop for half a second appreciate the sandwich, even though you just want to shove it down your mouth and get back to work. And you say, you know what? This is a gift from us. That's the barakha. That's the beauty of the barakha. And anyway, we're we getting on top. Our breath, and so that no one hears them and no one can answer our men, and we barely even hear them. It really hit me today. I was in between, I was in between my second and third surgery, and they told me you have 15 minutes to eat. I go to the cafeteria. I got three chicken legs, some rice with gravy from the chicken on it, and a soup. And I'm sitting across from Rabbi Moses Haber's father who works there. And I said, please forgive my lack of manners. And we're hecking a little bit as I'm in between bites. I said, I have to run to the next surgery. And he, he literally told me, he said, it's not good to eat that quickly. I said, you don't understand. I got to be there. They're going to kill me. I get there. They said, oh, the surgery is canceled. Uh, so then I felt like a real dip. So it's almost <laughs> like it goes to show you, just enjoy the food. Even if you're rushing, enjoy the food. Try to be as mindful as you can. It's just a funny thing that happened to me. Make the time. Exactly. Absolutely. Just time. make the time. Exactly. Exactly. Hundred percent. He's funny here. He's, it's great. You gotta laugh with him. Hundred percent. So fourteen. Yeah. Dati ki kol asheri aser Elohim hu yihiel leolam. I love this pasuk. Allah ven leosif umemenu en legrowa. Elohim asah shiiru milefana. Right. It reminds you a little bit of lot asif alav lot tigram imenu right in the Torah about the mitzvah, but this is completely the opposite. In a way, I realize too that whatever God has brought to pass will will recur evermore. Nothing can be added to it, and nothing taken from it. And God has brought to pass that men revere Him. I think this very much emphasizes Mars' point that he's been trying to make all day. Yes, that that, that this you know this stuff's going to come. Um, yes, and you can't stop it. You can't Absolutely. stop the flow of life. Absolutely, not even Tom Brady can play that. Yes, um, <laughs> but uh, I want to have a conversation um so he he uh, just a very quick interjection he translates here instead of whatever god has brought to pass will recur evermore he says i know that whatever god makes happen is always what will be in other words god is in control having created a system of times that is opaque to human wisdom so it's just uh, it's maybe a slight point but i think it's uh does not sound like no free will everything is mandated from god like how why are we not reading it i mean it's simple way to read it seems like that right what are you talking about no i don't think it has no free will i'd say i think it's saying the circumstances that happen to you were not in your control doesn't mean you can't respond to them you could respond by getting in line with them what about the free will to enjoy the gift from god what it's a i'm making i'm making a choice to enjoy the gift from god that i was given no no it's a gift from god that you were able to enjoy you couldn't even have the choice to enjoy oh i have the very fact that you enjoyed it was a gift from god so you might say oh look i do have the capacity 
I could enjoy my toilet. Go, okay, so you lucked out that God decided that you should enjoy your food. But even that, I, it's, I'm just saying. Or I definitely can hear that. In your, even in, in, in this nihilistic mentality, and I hear it, you still have the choice to, like if you're in this cage and he's giving you your little bit of food for Not the day, you still have the choice to enjoy this little bit of food for the day. No, he said that's a gift from God. That's what that pastor was saying. You couldn't enjoy it, if, even if you... Even the ability to enjoy. I'm just saying, if we're not going to read it this way, the way that I'm trying to read it, yeah. then I, you're supposed yeah. to be asking these questions. That's all. I think it's just it's making you ask the questions. I don't think we're not in the last chapter, so we don't have the final answer. It's just kind of is this the way of life you want to live, where you know you're just uh, you just kind of like a, a ship tossed about in the ocean, and, and this thing happens, and that thing happens, and the best you could do is say it's all for good, and there's a time for this and a time for that. I mean, that's okay as a response, but it, it's no way to live. I mean, you need to make time. Uh, I mean, we know that, but but I think right here, he's setting you up in the nihilistic, passive way. Just kind of, this is how you could construct your mind to absorb the reality of the world around and I agree. Yes. I don't Let's think recurring makes sense. It, olam, I think, means forever, as in the, the English here is constantly throwing me off. I hear you. I, I, I think it's because of just, again, because in the Tanakh, Olam never, ever means uh, world. That's only in modern Hebrew and rabbinic Hebrew. But you're right. No, I, I agree with you there. No, recurring was the weird uh, word. Oh, recurring, there. yes. That's why he changes it from rec uh, from um recurring to i know that whatever god makes happen is always what will be he changes recurring to what will be whatever god yeah. is going to make happen. i like that better that makes more sense I, that's i like that too that's why i tried to make that point is that it's not about that it's going to happen again and, and again it's just i think the point here is that we all agree with this we know that there are things that happen to us in in the world that are not under our control but I don't think he's making a blanket philosophical statement about free will. You're right, the Matat Elohim thing, maybe a little bit. I think he's just saying about pleasure specifically. He's not saying you don't, you can't choose to do more amal. He's saying he's saying you can't, you could choose to do less toiling work. He seems to be saying you have the ability to choose how much toil you want to engage in. Once you have the wisdom from all this advice, don't do as much amal. That's free will. So I don't think he's making as much of a blanket philosophical point about free will as you might, you might think, but he is certainly saying that there are many things in life that we don't have control over. But just also to reiterate what you were saying, Dr. Nasser, we emphasize in the introduction to the first class that we don't have to resolve everything that he says in the book, because in different chapters he does contradict himself. Maybe you guys could testify to this, but that's the point is people are like that. People are mercurial. We have different thoughts at different times and we say different things. They don't have to be consistent per se because we think different things all the time. You know, and, and that's the beauty of this is that in other chapters, we're going to see a little bit more of an upbeat tone, maybe. Other chapters, we maybe see a little bit more of a downbeat tone. And we're going to, of course, leave the space for both, you know? Yeah. So, uh, I want to add a yeah, question please. about um, the last line. Uh, the revering. I was just going to say, exactly. Uh, I don't love the, the, the translation of your U. I never do. Good. So he says here, um, Hebrew root Yer'ah, better here. And throughout Ecclesiastes, fear. Kohelet's unpredictable and aloof deity provokes real fear and consternation, not only pious reverence. So the word that comes to mind for me also is shuddering. Is that, I, I was going to go the opposite. I definitely agree with that also. Yes, I, I think. I don't know about fear. I think it's like a shuddering. Well, That's, what is, it's the, what is the word of the word yura? 
Yirah means fear. Let me see. No, not not in this context. Lirot is different than Yirah. Sometimes yir'ah. people say ah. Oh. Oh, exactly. So I was just going to make the point that he didn't have to. We made this point in chapter one also. Yeah. In chapter one, we were noticing, look, he chose to look at the limits of his knowledge and say, oh, woe is me. How terrible is this? Life is pointless because I don't know all these things. Albert Einstein and Stephen Hawking, we brought those quotes from them. How beautiful they saw the limits of their knowledge and arguably they knew the most in our time of anybody. And they said, how awesome is it that there's this mystery of existence? Why is there something rather than nothing? This is all. And that led them directly to the religious experience. What a shame, in my opinion, humble opinion, that Kohelet couldn't give himself that same framing. It's all about how you frame it. He's framing it here with such a downbeat tone. He's pretty depressed, it seems. He's, he's coloring everything with Beck's triad of overgeneralization and personalization and catastrophization. You don't have to do that. You could take it more of as like, a childlike sense of wonder what happened to that i love the reference becks triad <laughs> cracking me up oh <laughs> uh, yes it's a, yes there's another becks triad that's great threw me off too yeah it says here elokima i saw yeah I, I, you know you can pull the room i don't know if everyone in here is uh it's what do you mean oh what do you mean by that it says your god made us fear him i think he means that that in, in the way that we have to be afraid of the fact that we have no control and everybody experiences that that's how we fear god not directly oh i know i'm not an atheist and i know god everyone is afraid of existence in their existence because of their lack of control when your loved one god forbid by not dies you're afraid oh wait 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 hold on hold on and that's how Elohim is not elohim the fanav is Everything he's just been talking about. Lifne, all of it. But that would be Lifne him. Oh, uh, okay. yeah. God, God's instilling fear. It sounds like God's instilling fear. In That's his opinion. Right? That's his opinion at this time. That God made it so that every man only could tremble in trepidation at the powerlessness. powerlessness. Yeah, exactly. How, and, and that's exactly it. It's not... I, even if people don't formulate it as being afraid of God, it is a fear at existence. And by the way, if you guys need to go, I don't want to hold you too long. And but I, 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 I want to. So if yeah, you want to I want to. That you're, uh, responding to Kohelet in this way and saying no, I just, he's saying that everything is this, and, and your response, then that I would be completely open to that. I guess I'm just saying to read it into him. That I I think he's not making a statement about human free will as much as you are. I think you're projecting a little bit of your thoughts. To be honest, I think. He doesn't, no, he I thinks, you started from the beginning saying, oh, not that it's inevitable. And then you read the whole thing. He says, et, 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 which he at the end says, Hashem, every et is determined by God explicitly. No, no, I think it, I think these times are inevitable, but the way that you respond to them is not inevitable. Maybe that's where, no, that's, not no what that's what he's saying. He's saying you can choose how, when you want to be well, mehabek. No, I'm saying he's saying you have the ability to choose to be in line with this craziness of the world or fight against it. And I thought you were saying differently. I thought you were just saying that it's a better picture if you happen to be the person that is enjoying life and all the weirdness of it, um, then mm -hmm. you're in a good place, regardless of choice. I think he's giving you his wisdom. Well, that, that I think he's right. saying it's not smart to be so amel. 
I think it's a little bit yeah, semantic now, but yeah. Start to be that, that. Not at all, though. You're reading them as instructions. You should go to war. No, I wasn't reading as instructions. I'm saying there are times when all these things are are ripe, and if you and they're appropriate, and if you want to, you can recognize this appropriateness of these different times. I think if you could see the things that happen. If you're smart you, enough, you'll recognize. They are in God made the time. So they're already. Exactly. There's no not right time. Exactly. Oh, so that's one specific thing that we're finding, but I think we're agreeing with the totality of all of them. With that specific one, fine, I'll agree to disagree. Everything God made at the time. So all you can do is sit back and say, listen, this is my, my halqa and, and enjoy each of the seasons. Mm -hmm. And that's the only only hope you have because to try to change them agreed and gain that agreed and that was free will you just mentioned free will That's it good. was your free will to get in I'm line with saying, it i'm not trying to really introduce free will too much into it perfect then we saying, agree i was just saying to read it all as instructions that there's a right time and a not right time and you should be steering towards the right i no, didn't say you should be i said it, i think he's giving you wisdom that you that you can get in line you like you can yeah. choose if you're at a funeral you could be happy you know, in society, it'll be inappropriate. Everyone could exactly. Conform, like everyone. That's the only point I'm making. Right. It would be inappropriate, but at the same time, I think what he's saying here is like you could create your time to be happy at a funeral. Why not? You know, the Joker. <laughs> the Joker. It's all perspective, right? Like you can play a game like that as much as you want throughout life. You know, when most people are happy at a party, you could you could create yourself to have that time for you to be sad. You know. 100%. I think that you, I, I think you should notice the things you cannot control and then live accordingly. That's all I'm saying. I thought you want to be the person. Right? And, and you could, sorry, very quick. And you could also lament things that don't happen in there. Like it's only for the one with, with dying and, and I, I being born. Why is he there's, saying that? There's no, such a thing. Dying. There's such a thing as a lamut. I don't want to. Oh, it doesn't have to be. That's just one specific point. But yeah, a little bit. I mean, it is arguing later on in the chapter that we're like animals, and it says yes. we're all gonna die. Yes, he's gonna say. That. And if we're if we're talking about men like animals, and, and he's literally talking about separating the godliness from them and taking them down from our high stoop, kind of humbling yeah. us, like we've been talking. How about. do we even know the man's gonna go to heaven and the animal is gonna go down? Really? So I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why I made this specific. I'll tell you why I made this specific point. I'll tell you why why I made this specific point about et la et lamut. It's because there's a pasuk, in let me tell you exactly. It's pasuk two here, and uh, so um, it's a pasuk in. Let's see. We definitely got to see the ego check here, you know? One second. Lo ayat. Where does he say lo ayat? Something. Oh, here, not his time. In Psalms. In, in Psalms, uh, one who expires then is dying. In time, one who dies prematurely may be said to perish not in his time. Oh, sorry. Ecclesiastes 7.17. He says, compared to Ecclesiastes, you know, sinners, according to the prevalent belief, yada, yada, yada. All right, time for dying. Kohel knows that people do not necessarily die when the time is right. Ah, look, so that's why he says in chapter seven and eight that people don't always die when it's their right time to die. That's specifically why. So if you look at eight, twelve. So this is your question. I'm sorry I didn't address it enough. I just took it at. So so he's noticing that there are sadikim who are dying 
the death of Arasha, and that's not Eit Lamut. That's why I was saying that. So I'm not saying that Eit Lamut doesn't mean that God is not controlling it. I think God is controlling it, but I think it's just a shame. I love Trying to make a point that he's upset because I hear him say here also. I try to tell myself that the said the king will be rewarded and that Hashem will be punished, but he observes that happens to be not even true. Doesn't even seem exactly. So maybe this is part of the inconsistency. You're right. You're right. It's part of the inconsistency that we see within the book. You're right. I don't know. We don't have to necessarily fit in, but I think that was his exegesis here. Michael Fox specifically was trying to to be Mayashiv the two different chapters. You're right. You don't have to necessarily. But the rest of them, I agree with you, that it's all God is doing it, and you could get in line and and, and surf with the with the vibrations of of life in a way, right? And the way that uh, that Alan Watts would put it is, they look at the world, everything is just like booga 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 booga. You know, everything in the world is just like you know dancing around all the particles, all the the water. You look at the water waves, look at the way nature is. It's just moving around in its own dance, and you could get either choose to shudder at that and fight against it and bump against each thing or you could dance with it surrender to the flow lean in as mofo would say right um we are up to pasuk 15 i believe oh uh, so the, and we said the idea of uh shuddering so it's a negative connotation it gives you don't have to necessarily give that let's move on to 15 what is occurring occurred long since and what is to occur occurred long since and God seeks the pursued, right? So this is specifically, so the, the beginning is we understand, right? But the end, what does it mean? God seeks the pursued. I don't think, so he says, I, I like his explanation here. Nirdaf doesn't mean the people who are being pursued. It's, we can reflect that God seeks what has already been sought. Nirdaf is that which people are rodef after. God already is, is, has that in his plan. You know, that this stuff is kind of, in a way, going to play out because of this is already in his plan. That's, I think, the, uh, again, the inexorableness of it. Um, right, so he's expecting, so now we're going to, now this, uh, till the end of the chapter, from 16 to 22, he's going to discuss injustice and judgment. So, uh, injustice is right. So, so, uh, hang on, just to back up to 15. He just took away free will just off the table, right? He just said, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. God already knows what happens. Uh, kind of took your whole uh, active persona as far as recognizing times and being active about it and, you know, maybe taking the initiative to uproot the trees at the right time and I trying to identify the time. He's like, yeah, it's just, it all happened already. It's already, the book's written. And we're just playing, we're just turning the pages, basically. I, I'm right. not saying that's how it is, but, but yeah, he's, yeah. he's going back. So my my question with that is, once you understand this wisdom, oh, sorry, Dr. once you understand this wisdom, doesn't this mean now you can choose to live more in line with the wisdom? Like, I, I don't, it's a little bit of a paradox for me, but you're right. I do hear that. I do hear the point that it sounds like there's there's nothing really to be done. But in a way, you can do something because now you're, you're wiser for it. So that's just my the way my brain works with it. We are, he we're definitely wants to steer you to, to so like you're saying, I don't disagree with that, to come to some kind of peace. Yes. Otherwise, he wouldn't be writing it. Yeah. He's writing the book for a reason. Yeah. So, but he, even in the midst of trying to steer you towards this peace, he's just 
fighting this this it seems like this like battle within him you know within himself. yes yeah like, oh i can't you know and then even the, to enjoy like so i tell you to enjoy but even that is really just god because there's really no point but he uses the word gift like, yeah yeah exactly as, yeah, at least it's, but at least he doesn't say it's forced it's binding he says it's a gift from god so it, but still his perspective is tough Yes, I hear that, but I do hear what you're saying, that there's something about having this knowledge that's supposed to allow you to move more. In it's almost like Buddhism. It. It's almost like Buddhism, right? Once you think in a Buddhist way where everything just is and everything is isness, it doesn't really matter what you do. Nothing is not morality kind is not so important. I'm not necessarily. Please don't cancel me. I'm not saying necessarily this is what I propose, but I'm saying this is what the Buddhist idea is. All there is is just to observe what is. And be in line with it. In a way, that's a choice. You can choose to be mindful of what is, or you could choose to be split mind and, and fight against the moment. Choice. The choice is constantly yours. Do you want to be at ease or not? And then we could, but, you know, the racism is on. Wait, top wait, of this it. is yeah. going to be a whole tangent, but that takes away your moral agency over living life, you know? And you become very passive. You know, you're not going to leave your, your house. So you're just going to wear sweatpants all day. In other words, what do you care? If, if things are just going to be how they're going to be, why should I change the world? Why should I care about the, the you know, the, what the injustice that's going on next door? It is what it is, you know, whatever. Let it easy come, easy go. Because your time is limited. Your time is limited. So you know that, you know, like, you know, we were saying earlier, you should get things done if you know you don't Very have much forever, but the you, time crunch. Even Very though, much. Yeah. Even to add to that, I was reading uh, The Wisdom of Insecurity by Alan Watts. I keep quoting it. It was fantastic. The penultimate chapter. I love, I love that word, penultimate, second to last. Um, <laughs> in the second to last chapter, he talks about uh, the idea that, okay, so what happens with morality? What happens with agency? He addresses this exact point because the whole book, he's leading up to this point where you just try to adopt that Buddhist perspective and live into it. And he says, the thing that happens is you become all love. When you become fully enlightened and you stop being split brain, you stop trying to fight against the moment and you stop trying to run away from whatever it is, you just live into it. And then the thing that happens is this, it's, you can think about it like a light of, of love starts shining. And we have this constant you know, ability, he says, to either shine it towards ourselves, this selfish self-love and not in the modern psychology form, but more in like a selfish way where he compares it to a candle under a bushel, where it's constantly just about your own petty thoughts. That's when you're not enlightened. When you are enlightened, you break through that because you realize, in his words, that there is no self to love. That's more of a Buddhist idea of no self. But in his words, once you start to look at this wisdom of insecurity and you stop trying to fight against the moment, all there is left to do is love. This is the bodhisattva idea that you have this Buddha who meditated for a long time, he chooses not to remain in isolation. He comes back to society. Why, you might ask? Is he trying to change things? Buddhas don't want to change anything. The point is that that's what there is left to do now. Not from a need to change, but just because love is the natural consequence of full enlightenment. This is very deep stuff, and I know it might be a little, but I think it's valuable to discuss it, is that the, the, the end point of this Buddhist mantra is not only just to sit and do nothing. That is a, a, a path that Pratyega Buddha would take, a private Buddha. You guys are a little bit concerned. I see Sarah's like, why the hell did you know that term? I apologize for bringing these Avodazara uh, words into the shul. But at the end of the day, I think it's valuable to discuss. You could have the private Buddha who's on the mountaintop forever, or you could have the, the guy who takes uh, he takes his enlightenment and he brings it to the world, not out of a desire to change it. Sorry, we'll say it again? 
I didn't read the end of it yet. Right, so right now you would say that's not at all in, in the cards for him at this stage of his thinking, right? Oh, no, yeah, I'm, this is all a tangential outside thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Saying at this stage of his thinking, we're just basically seeing someone who's saying, listen, it's all inevitable anyway. And engage in just pleasure. Be happy. Not yeah. only engage in pleasure, just this is what it's going to be. It's like a pleasure. Item, yeah. right? Engage in the action of pleasure. Enjoying yeah. what you have. Yeah, he says enjoy what you have. But he says that in previous chapters. Just try to enjoy what you have because yeah. that's the only thing you could even hope for. Yes. Right. That the the actions they they also say that in the uh. That so yeah, well we'll see that because he ma'asab doesn't only mean actions. You're you're right, but they 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 translate as possessions and in the pleasure of enjoying your possessions in the context of the previous two chapters. Because he, he also uses the word ma'asab with the tov with the pleasure. That's that's why they do it. What you do, it's it's your life. Yes. And then so, remember I was talking about moral agency. The next pastuk is about righteousness and, and wickedness. Same thing, meaning yes. the, why, why are you fighting injustice? There's going to be wicked, there's going to be righteous, righteous or wicked, wicked or righteous, who cares? Very exactly. you know, pessimistic about it. Yes, so he says God will ultimately execute judgment, yet he realizes that this may come too late for human beings' ultimate fate wipes out distinctions including those between the righteous and the wicked, and even between human and beast. So we'll run through the, the rest of the chapters, the rest of the Pesukim, because I know you guys are probably uh, itching to leave soon. Uh, and indeed, I have, I have observed on the sun, alongside justice, there is wickedness. Alongside righteousness, there is wickedness, right? So this, uh, even in a court of law in particular, or maybe even just in the world in general, he doesn't see uh, justice where it should be done. I'm used. God will do them both righteous and wicked, for there is a time for every experience and for every happening. Right? Oh, so, because they're all going to die. Yeah, they're both. Everyone's going to move. I think he says, I'm not saying he's pleading. No, Hashem will hold. Find a time to judge. In the Interesting. Way, said, um, wow. And he tries to work into like a moral, uh, a naturalistic moral philosophy. Ah, there so he said, uh, yes. Like there will be, there, no, it must be that there, there's a way, a way that God gets everything, but that's like almost a pleading of his heart that he ultimately can't hold on to that diary. Right? Yes, that's exactly how Michael Michael Fox changes it. He changes it too. Yeah, where's the word doom? There, I don't see the word doom even. The, the, the JPS gives you doom, but. Michael Michael Judge. Fox translates it as God will give justice, good justice judge. to what will judge them. To what the they ruin it with this doom. It completely ruins the whole the whole pasuk. Exactly. So Michael Fox changes it to God will judge and not judge poorly the Sadiq. He will judge the good the Sadiq and judge yes. poorly the Rasha only. So very, very good point. Um, and then just one brief point about the word sham. Some change it to some. To make it makes more sense, especially when it actually comes at the end of the sentence. Perhaps it refers to the place of judgment. Many change sham to sam uh, and translate, for God has set a time for every experience and for every happening. So God has set a time for it rather sounds, exactly instead of sham, which is for there is a time for every experience. It just sounds a little bit better. Um, so let's continue. We'll, we're almost done. <laughs> This is a very obscurely worded pasuk, difficult to translate, but bottom line. So I decided as regards men to dissociate them from the divine beings and to face the fact 
that they are beasts. That's really just the bottom line of what this is trying to say. Man is really basically nothing more than animals, exactly. Right, just... Exactly. We say that also in Birkot HaShachar. If you, if you ever made it to Shul before Hashem Melech, which I used to do in like high school, they used to make me go and call Israel to read the Korbanot for them at 8.30. So uh, I, I, every morning I would read this idea where it would say, Birkot HaShachar, we say, uh, We would say, sorry, And then we would say this pasuk, which means, for most of human deeds are nothingness, and the days of their lives are fleeting before you. And the advantage of human over beast is not for all this fleeting. Right? So it, it adds something to it. And in this prayer, Hevel does not mean meaningless, nor all human deeds de- uh, deemed um, uh, nothingness. In the Jewish view, much of what we do or can do has deep significance. So the, the tefillah changes it a little bit because it wants you to say, you know what? Be humbled at how little efficacy you have, but not everything. That's the point. You're right. Uh, also, don't judge people. I think it's very strong here. Like, who are you? Absolutely. You, know, you are. You 100%. are. 100%. Yes. There's not much that separates you. Absolutely. The more psychology you learn, the better you get at understanding another person. Sitting here, you know, we could judge, you know, the slightest differences between people, uh, you know, between looks or belief systems. Like, you're all human beings. Exactly. And then, and then really, you're not better than the dog. Exactly. The dog's not so much better than the fish either. That's that's what true anava, true anava, true humility for yourself comes from understanding how limited you are. If you realize I'm a little tiny blip in space time, I'm going to die the death of an animal. How pompous are you going to be in the workplace, walking in like you're this alpha male? You know, it doesn't make any sense. I know what's best. Exactly, it it really makes no sense. Exactly. One other point I wanted to make here: the idea of of ruah is not necessarily a spirit. But rather, um, sorry, this is not an immortal soul, but the life breath. But soon we're going to see something interesting that I think is really pretty incredible. So uh, hang on, we're almost done with this. All right, so let's, let's translate 19. For in respect of the fate of man and the fate of beast, they have one and the same fate. As the one dies, so dies the other, and both have the same life breath. Man has no superiority over beast since both amount to nothing. Right, so that's a very, very key pasuk. Right, says the Torah. Exactly. He can't believe this, though. I mean, you read it, and obviously he can't believe. It. He's writing the book. Do you see beasts writing books? I mean, it's it's a it's a point he's making, which is obviously, you know, meant to draw a, a response. Missionary psychologists or something that will believe that'll argue this way, right? That yeah, the entire uh, CBT is built upon somebody. Yuval Noah Harari would this. say this, but he would then he then he adopts the uh, the Buddhist perspective, right? He would say on the one end like, okay, yeah, it's all just randomness, and you're just random firings of neurons. Yuval Noah Harari would say this though when he talks no, about like the, the the lights turning on or something that there is something unique that happens to human intelligence. But still, that doesn't mean that. I think, uh, so does Shalom, sorry, so does Kohelet. See, I made it. It's not talking about intelligence. But, no, no, it's but yeah. what's going to happen. We're all heaven. Exactly. <laughs> it it, it, it might very well be that we're so wise and our lives are very cool in this way that we're really wise, but it really ultimately means nothing because of the end that happens to us. And, and Noah Harari would, would agree with that. He wouldn't agree with that. I think. I mean, maybe not fully, because, but I think he would 
he has some elements that sound like that. Oh, who yeah, wouldn't? Yeah. yeah. Death, we are like the other things that yeah, die. But in life, we're basically yeah. dirt. Right. We become dumb. Exactly. It says specifically the word fate. Yeah, fate being the end, like our fate being death. Exactly. Exactly. Beyond. Yeah. Takes away everything. And this is what happens when you're depressed. You start thinking in black and white terms. You overgeneralize. You color the world so much. But don't discount the knowledge of what you think. Exactly. It is true. It's true in a sense. An applicable knowledge. Yeah. It's not just depressing. It's very real. Absolutely. I think it's I think it's beautiful, but it's also biased. Yeah. I think that's it's both. I think there's and there's a time and a place. Wiring. <laughs> there you go. Very very meta of you. Um Adam. So this is the really interesting pasuk I wanted to say. Who knows if man's life breath does rise upward or if a beast's breath does sink down into the earth. Right? So this is really interesting. Ecclesiastes alone, Koelet alone, in the Bible, is aware of the belief that at death the soul goes upward to the heavens rather than down to the shore. It doesn't mean he believes it. He's aware of the belief. Exactly. He doubts. He does not sure. Yeah. This idea is not Semitic in origin. The idea of this soul thing, not Semitic, but it was found in popular Hellenistic religion. This is why one of the reasons Esther and, and uh, I think you guys, why he, he insists that this is not Shilamah himself, because this is a Hellenistic idea, which held that the soul rises to the ether, the heavenly seat of the gods. As the author portrays Kohelet, the sage has heard of this notion but he does not know if it is true, and he refuses to be comforted by conjecture. This, to me, is the most important thing we said the whole chapter. There's a courage in questioning. There's a courage in not accepting feel-good answers, and that's what this book is. It is the most courageous book that I've really encountered in a very long time because it is a little depressing, but it's not afraid of the sadness that he's going to encounter. He wants truth. He's so dedicated to the truth that he's going to confront it. You know, and, and there's, I think you emerge stronger when you show yourself, I can confront the scariest thoughts, including. Right. He's, he's saying there's, he's saying there's no difference between man and animal. Prove me wrong. You know, like, exactly. I dare you to prove me wrong. Show me that, exactly. that the soul goes up. I don't buy it. You know, I'm starting from a, a basis that I, I see they'd both die. So I'm not going to, you know, yes, there's pyramids. Yes, you know, art, science, justice. Sure. But what does it all mean? Show me that, that there's something legit about all of it. Bid you. All going to blow up in a billion years anyway. Yeah, exactly. The sun is going to run out of hydrogen. Wonderful. Right. So final pursuit. Not a proof. We, we did it. We had a whole thing last week. Yeah. What does that come? What does it matter? Because no, the idea of lemala, the idea of lemala, never ever in the whole time. Contrast to the to the lemata. Meaning, I'm sure they say this. No, the the idea of ola lemala is is a very specific new thing. Right. Well, that's that. We had a whole thing last week about it. It could be even be alienating some people in that discussion. I don't know. I don't want to alienate anybody, but I think. No, no, it's okay. It's completely fine. We had a thing last week about it. I think, I think it's important to know that it is original. So that's the thing. There's, that's what I was arguing last week. Yes, I feel you, but there's there's different ways of looking at it. For me personally, I like to see it as this fictional character giving you this idea. If you prefer Shalomah, that's fine. 
but I think there's there's different benefits. There's pros and cons to both sides. I, right. I certainly do think that, but I think just based on the scholarly literary analysis, it doesn't seem to be Shalomah. If you if it gives you more of a of a connection to the text, by all means, you know. But it's very meta that we're happening to be discussing this pasuk of to be comforted by conjecture. We might want to attribute it to Shalomah, but it, if it doesn't seem like it, based on really strict textual analysis, words that are newer after the time of Shalomah ever lived, you know, things like that, and and literary styles, you don't have to care about that as much, but that's the way I like to focus on that stuff. But if you want to focus more on, it makes me feel better about the, the message of it when it's Shalomah, by all means, I really don't want to take that away from anybody. Yeah, you called it in a, like a Shalomonic. Well, like uh, Shalomonic level of wisdom. Yeah. I just want, like, even if it's a fictional character, I want my fictional right. character no, to be a king. It also gives it more like that, that, that he tried but, he, but he's known as a sage at the end of the book. I read this and I'm a big part of it. It doesn't seem like it's the, the divine, right? No, but that's what I'm saying. The sage Shlomo means it has his chokmah, meaning it has his divine wisdom, which makes me feel more comfortable reading it and then absorbing the right. wisdom or the teachings that it Right, so it might be better if you distance this kind of thinking from Shlomo. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, but you know why? Because if you want to take the shot, the hachamim weren't willing to take the shot and say Shlomo. They have every you should see some of the comments here. They're so far from oh, what the yeah. shot they, seems they to just, be. They, they, they like flip everything. They're in defense mode. He's talking defense, about Torah. Yeah. It's fine. Every, it's, oh, oh, this is everything except for the Torah. Yeah. Torah yeah. It's like yeah. you can't have your cake and eat it too. If you want to read his shot, I recommend not reading it. Shlomo. If you want to read like the Achamim, read it like Shalom Fadal. Right. You know, that's my, my humble opinion. But I just think it holds power if it comes from a man of power. Right. That's and that the sense, whole thing. That's my whole thing. And, and that's, that's who the, exactly, right. the narrator yeah, wants to portray it that way. When you talk about Shlomo, the, the, yeah. the smartest man, the richest man, the greatest man to ever live The oldest one in the world. And yeah, he's writing all of this to you. But he's still saying life's meaningless. They're posing it that way. They're posing that way. Whoever wrote it is posing it that way. That don't exactly. think that these are my thoughts because I'm lowly. These are the thoughts of the king that don't, no one's scared. It's a, this is a privileged man's and thought. The that's what I want. The more, the more you'll feel it. And that's fine. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see it that way too, but I, like, I do deeper, deeper than if that. He was really miserable and adds an element. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And that's what it's the, 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 the context that right. I think he wrote this at the end of his life because um, he talks like in those earlier chapters, like who's going to be coming, who's going to be, um, you know, be in power after me. And he's, He's having a lot of this fear. Yes, but he this... also takes the 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 point of view of a sage, specifically a non-king sage, where he starts criticizing monarchy in general, which is something right, that doesn't make any sense for Shlomo to do. Kohelet, I've done all these things. Yes, yes. There was ways of understanding. It's hard. In our first class, we commented a lot about fiction. And I think I made the comment, but I want to double down on it. I didn't make it basically that suicide's a first world problem. Right. And these are the problems that someone who has ever He has the time to think these thoughts. Imagine that the time Yes. Um, yeah. Think about what life's purpose. Imagine, People don't have these right. problems in their living. Absolutely. You're right. Let's 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 finish up and then we'll continue the discussion very briefly. Just one more pasuk. Right. Right. 
I saw that there is nothing better for man than to enjoy his possessions, since that is his portion. For who can enable him to see what will happen afterward? Right. So this idea again that they that right. So they're they're translating ma'asav as as possessions because in 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 light of the previous couple of uh, chapters. Man is entitled to his labors, not fruit of his labors. That's from the Bhagavad Gita. Oh, really? And man is entitled to his labors, not the fruit of his labors. So it's saying very similar. Don't think at all about you. I want to see this and this happen in the world. That's up to God. But your actions. To enjoy those that's really all you have so he's almost saying the converse of this that enjoy the fruits only because right eating and drinking and making one's heart cheerful and that's what he was mentioning in the previous couple of chapters the only highlight that you could really ever hope for is enjoying the fruits of whatever toils you did you know you not that you should go toil but enjoy those fruits that's right, just that makes it more pessimistic i don't think you have to he says your actions no but he is very pessimistic throughout and i think that's why they're translating it this way but you're i hear your point um the portion Strictly speaking, the benefits one derives from what one earns, not the material possessions themselves. And then finally, for who can enable him to see what will happen afterward? Afterward could either be later in life or after death. Um, and then in any case, the only sensible thing to do is to embrace the good experiences life affords us. Because all we have, or at least all we know we have, is the present moment. That's how Michael Fox ends his commentary on this, on this pedic. And that is such a beautiful thing. In light of everything, and you might think all oh, this stuff is downbeat and depressing and all that stuff, but you would you kind of have to enter this realm to really understand the benefits of mindfulness fully. And this is part of my my uh, my whole spiel on parashat tzaveh. That you don't have to add this external meaning to life constantly. And where's God and the Cinderella story? You don't have to do that. Just appreciate what is in front of you. Isn't that enough right now? And this forces you to do that. And, and I told Alma is very much inspired by your way of thinking. For me, this is really where it's at. And this is why we do it. This is why we confront it. I know it's difficult. I know all that stuff. But we do it because we want to get to this realization. Then once you strip everything away and you realize that every, things are very empty, once you start, start prodding them, it forces you to live more meaningfully in a very specific way, specifically with mindfulness. So... If you guys have to go, Fadalu, if you want to have any questions, I, discussion, I, I would love to hear. Yeah. Please do. Yeah. Fadal. Oh. So let me, let me, uh, any, first of all, before you do, sorry. Yeah, yeah, any questions you guys have on Zoom or otherwise? I guess the one word that really kept on coming to my mind during this whole uh, discussion is, but wasn't really mentioned, is to be receptive, you know, you want to be receptive to what's going on around you in life, the good, the bad, you have to be open to it. Um, now, we kind of talked about control and, and morality and, and having your, your action within the world. But before that, you still have to take in what's going on uh, around you first. Yes, so, and I think part of that is, is when you recognize the times and the, the fact that things play out in a certain way. The, the wisdom he's trying to impart you with is be receptive to that. Be in tune with nature and the way right. that things are. Yeah, go on. Right, so in a way, I think that is the receptivity you're looking for. Right, do you hear that? Yeah, 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 for sure. I, I feel like we shouldn't look for too much answers in this chapter. I think he's setting us up, you know? Yes. It feels it's that kind way. Of like we're trying to get to the end, but he hasn't laid everything out yet. Absolutely. I, I certainly agree with that.
I think uh, I feel like, it is like, like we have more questions now than answers, you know? Like, what is it all? Uh, that's what's been raised to me. I think it's going to be hard for me personally to understand anything about this book till I read the whole thing. But yeah, you should have more questions than answers. Yes. Michael, uh, Michael, if I could ask, in the very, very beginning, uh, you said something, I, maybe it was a little too fast for me. You said something about I and me or you and me and you were trying ah, to make some yeah. kind of distinction. Can you just repeat that if you remember, if you understand what I'm referencing? Sure, sure. So Alan Watts talks about the idea that that we, we have this illusion of a split mind very often. And it's, it's very often the, the source of anxiety or any pain in life really comes from this perception that there is an I and a me. What does he mean by that? He means when you th have the thought, I am so afraid and I need to stop feeling this way. That's the split brain thinking. It's the split mind thinking. If only you would simply allow yourself to feel the fear as a pattern of energy and as a whole being, rather than trying to run away from what you currently are, which is the fear. You currently are fear. Be the fear. But the second you try to run away from that fear, that's when the real pain happens. I know one of my friends was going through a difficulty, and, and I was, that was the exact advice I was trying to give him is, it's okay to feel sad. You don't have to run away from the feeling sad. And, and the real pain only comes about when you run away from the sadness. And even physical pain is that way. I'm in surgery all day and I'm, I'm noticing how much my back is on fire and I'm cursing out the, these different surgeons that are making me be there. Like, God damn, I just want to be a psychiatrist. I just, all you people need psychiatric help for doing this stuff. No effect, Dr. Nasser, who's an orthopedic surgeon. Um, <laughs> I'm on orthopedics. So, so I have these thoughts and then I realize, I'm like, okay, I'll come back to the moment and let's do the stoic meditation. Imagine the stoic gods, Kibiachol, are giving me this challenge. If I could even be mindful and even be complacent and calm in this moment, then that would be quite an accomplishment. Let me try to stop being this split frame person and just feel the pain. And when I, when I do that, it's like, okay, it's just pain, it's just energy. And it, it doesn't feel as bad as when you're fighting against it. It really is a thing. Try to notice that next time you're in pain, let the pain be rather than running away from it. Obviously, if there's something, don't be a masochist. Don't let yourself like burn in a fire. But if there's nothing you could do, if you're in a 10-hour surgery like I was last week, just be in it. Any other uh, questions? That's I said a lot surgery. of weird things. It's good to know you're doing well. No, my pain. Yeah, no, I, was thinking, I said I wish I had this anesthesia. Dr. Nasser, sorry, sorry. Dr. Nasser, yes. No, I didn't say it. I'm just laughing at you, but it's funny, right? You know, you're a surgeon, you're thinking, oh, you know, whatever, you're complaining about this, the music, I can't hear the music, this fan's bothering my head's too tight. You know, the guy's cut open in front of you, you know? <laughs> <laughs> if anyone should be, <laughs> you know, the center of the tension is the poor guy who's, who's losing blood right in front of your eyes. You should uh, forget about yourself, obviously. Yes. But now human nature is, is to complain. <laughs> All I'm thinking at the moment is, Doc, can I have some of that uh, propofol, please? You're like the intern in the room, definitely not at the center of the store. Exactly. You still imagine. Exactly. Stories. Yes. So now we want to hear. First day in surgery, maybe. You know, he's excited. Um, exactly. So Mofo has a poem for us. Yes. Uh, I think it sums up a lot of the ideas we were talking you know, about. Let's hear it. Uh, so I wrote this for me and Al that Kohelet back in October. Uh, I am a tree. Uh, I am sitting by a river. The water washes along the banks. I hear it rushing towards me. I feel it coming. It fills me. The waters of life, 
They can overwhelm, they can drown, but we can't let them pull us away. We can't let the wind push us off our path. Of course, the wind will come, the rain will pour, the cold will shiver through your trunk and through your roots. But we are tied oh so tightly to the ground, our present, our past, our future, all as one. It can be easy to forget who we are, where we are. There is a time for planting. There's a time for uprooting the planting. But if we find our way to make some time for ourselves, we can slowly realize that we are a tree that lies by the river, constantly fed with everything that it needs. We are the leaves that flow through the air and wither, flowing also gently back to where we came, only to come back and spring anew, blooming with flowers of colors you never knew were inside you the entire time. The wind will come, the rain will pour, but remember you are a tree. My leaves blow oh so gently through the wind. A calmness overcomes me. I am where I need to be. I am a tree. The sun shines its loving rays upon me. The water drips oh so slowly off my branches and into the sea. I am a tree and in this moment at least I have found peace. Come, let me share it with you. And you can share yours with me too and allow ourselves to be. There's a season set for everything, a time set for every experience under heaven. Kohelet, King of Jerusalem. Wow. Yeah. Unbelievable. Really? That, uh, what a way to top it all off. Anybody have any any questions or comments? <laughs> Guys, it was such a pleasure. I especially enjoyed this class because so many of you contributed so much. And I, that's what I always want the class to be. I want it to be a discussion. I want it to be lively. And I know there's certain things, points that I want to make. And I apologize if I've lectured too much. So, But I always want to hear all your feedback and uh i think it's great the back and forth and the, the arguing is, is great and uh even earlier I, I wanted to apologize i was very hard on you abraham in the previous class put me on the spot on the, on the on the hot seat i apologize I don't know how I <laughs> you gotta I you gotta do the same thing with me yeah exactly guys thank you for everything thanks mike nice job thank you i don't know how you have time for medical